Genesis 18. <clears throat> Things are about to get interesting for Abraham. One of the things that we're, we're going to study, the, we're, we're, we're approaching very rapidly, the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction of that which was the most beautiful place on the earth, and it became the ugliest. And, it, and the Dead Sea became the Dead Sea. One of, I, I was telling so many people that I studied the Talmud for for hours today and last night. Well, it's just totally boring, except for one thing, and that is <clears throat> that whenever an animal that was set aside or sacrifice, whether it was the Passover lamb, or the scapegoat, or the bullock, or the sin offering, or the peace offering, or the heave offering, if during the course of the time that that animal was set aside, it became sick, or it died, or it became blemished under the law, or when, when in order for the lamb to be sacrificed, I mean the animals to be sacrificed, they killed it, First of all, it had to be it had to be without blemish outwardly before it could be taken into the but then when they killed it, they went through a process of investigation and investigated the liver and the, and if there were, were blemishes internally, then the animal wasn't fit for sacrifice. And so they had to take the the pieces of that animal and they couldn't be used for anything, it wasn't even burned outside the camp. But a, a contingent of the priests took the animal, if the dead animal in this case, or the alive animal if it died or developed a blemish while it was set aside, they took that animal and they had a contingent of priests that took it and dumped it in the Dead Sea, which... Uh, that's why it's, Christ said, if you offend one of these, my little ones, he wasn't talking about little babies, he was talking about new believers. If you offend them by providing a snare, i.e. bringing them back into the world, it would be better for you than what happened to the animals that were unfit for sacrifice. They were, a millstone was tied around their neck and they were dumped into the Dead Sea which is kind of interesting from well not all of them were some of them were okay <clears throat> so anyway I'm, I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting the study of Sodom and Gomorrah because I like that stuff what wall of destruction right Genesis 18 unbalanced teaching Jan, read uh, 18, 1 through 8. <clears throat> and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mariam. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord, 
if now I am found favor in thy sight. Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray thee, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch you morsel of bread, and comfort you your hearts, after you shall pass on. For therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do, as thou hast said. Now Abraham hastened into the tent under Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd, unto the herd, and fetched a calf tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, who hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them, and stood by them under the tree, and they would eat it. How many ideas? A little three minutes. <coughs> well, let's go ahead and read through uh, verse 15. All right, go ahead. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am wax old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed I will return unto thee, According to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Okay. <clears throat> it said, The Lord appeared unto Abraham. <clears throat> but uh, it doesn't say that the Lord appeared. I mean, it just said the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he lifted up his eyes and saw three men. Now, this is the sixth of ten appearances. God appeared to Abraham ten times, and this is the sixth of the ten appearances. Uh, Abraham had been living here at Mamre, which is near Heb, which is what's now Hebron, near Hebron, for about twenty years, and he continued to live there until after the birth of Isaac. Um, As we said, all that Abraham did was sort of hang around. He didn't have anything better to do. And at God's appointed time, then, like when it, remember we said, when and God remembered Noah, it's that word, Zakar. And almost at, at every time, <clears throat> the Talmud says that every time that just before Abraham, just before God appeared to Abraham, um, he had gone through the process that he was 
he was tired of it and he was going to leave. And then he said, no, I better not leave. I don't have anything else to do. Well, maybe I better leave. But just before the time in which he was really going to leave, God appeared to him. And that's obviously the process that happens in us. We think we're going to leave. In fact, we do leave. We get out of Egypt for a while. But then something takes place. Some revelation takes place. And we see there's nothing else we can do. It's like Peter going fishing. Peter going fishing. <coughs> now, <coughs> remember that the, the, the word the Lord is the, is the word, whenever it says the Lord in, in the Old Testament, it's, it's Jehovah. And the word Jehovah comes from the Hebrew word Haya, which means I am, or the self-existent, or that which doesn't need anything else. I remember when we first studied the scripture was that part in the Hebrew it's more important than in the English but part of the time it says that he talks about the three men in the singular and part of the time he talks about them in the, in, in, in the plural so it became this it's a big big arena of difficulty and in, uh, in what it means in, in the in the the Hebrew mystics have big time trouble with this. So let's read it again and, and look at it. Sometimes it's it's one and sometimes it's three. And the Lord appeared unto him in, a, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. So the Lord appeared unto him singular, now three men stood by him. And when he saw, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, now singular, my Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch thee, and again in Hebrew it says, I will fetch thee, singular, a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. Now it's plural again. And after that, ye, singular, shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, plural, so do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready three measures of fine meal kneaded and make cakes upon the earth. Heart. <coughs> Etc. Now, I want to read directly from the writings of Philo, who thought, well, oh, you'll see what I mean. <clears throat> Genesis 18 yields an allegory which represents a very high point in the progression of Abraham. When he is seated at the portal of his tent at noon, God appears to him. He raises his eyes and sees three angelic men. He runs to welcome them hospitably, gives instructions to Sarah for the baking of bread, and himself goes to his flocks for an appropriate animal. In the unfolding of the chapter, there are two interpretive difficulties. 
The three men are at times alluded to in the singular and at times in the plural. And in the first verse, one wonders about the relationship of God in the three visitors. Namely, are they one and the same or are they different? There are two important lessons we have already seen and here repeat. The three visitors are respectively Theos, which is the creative power of God, Krios, which is the ruling power of God, and the Logos, which is the word made flesh. Some men of limited minds discern God only from the results of creation. A different level of mind discern him from his rulership. And the final, or not mind, but the final level of revelation, discern him as Logos. Now this was said many, many years before Christ. Now, am I communicating to you? Yeah, I think, I think that this, this has bearing on it. Uh, it says that he, he was sitting in the tent door. Well, tent and tabernacle are interchangeable. Right. And if this is the tabernacle, if he's in the if he's in the door of the tent, and at other times we hear that at the sound of the ram's horn they were commanded to come to the door of the tent, it means that he was not hidden within himself. Right. He was he was up and forward and waiting so that when he saw the Lord he could go to meet him. He was prepared or whatever. Let me, let me read this song. No man can beget his own happiness. Rather, God begets happiness out of a man's virtue. It is virtue which bestows happiness on man. In the allegory, Abraham is the man who has progressed and become a sage. Since no man can beget his own happiness, Abraham is not the father of, hap of happiness, who symbolically here is Isaac, and what we're going to study next. Well, I don't want to. Let, 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 let me not go into that. Let me, let me talk about this idea. Paul speaks of this, this three position. He says that man is without excuse because they can see what, that there had to be a creative power. So that's the first stage of Revelation. When there, that there is a creative power outside of yourself. Now, unfortunately, some of you are still thinking that it's, it's, it's in your own self that the control exists. That's what Abraham, the allegory of Abraham, continues this. Abraham was, in, in, in his first stage, as he was in Babylon, Babylon represented the ultimate of religious or spiritual control. Okay? He saw the end of that. He came out of the idea of control because he saw in nature that there was a different creative power at work that was external to his mind. He couldn't control it. So then that led him to the next stage. So that first stage in, in, in this in this analogy, or these three men are called Theos. The second stage is Krios, which is lordship. His then his progressive stage of revelation then came that God was not just the creative force, that God was actually in control 
of everything. Now, that is beginning to dawn on your minds. The first thing you had to come to was that there was a creative force outside of yourself. That's, in one sense, that's coming to the point that God, or some kind of a God, is a viable possibility. The second point is that he's not only, he not only created it, but he's in constant control. That there is nothing that happens that isn't under his control. Very, very few people come to that revelation. But that's a, but that's a logical, if I hate to say logical, but I don't know what it is. it's a logical progression. The second well, follows from the first. It may or may not. You don't have to. I mean, you can have the creative which left it to its own devices. But the third one, which is more important, and it's the rarest of all, is the recognition of Logos. Now, what does Logos mean? In the beginning was the word, in the Greek it's Logos. Let's go to John, let's read John 1. I hope this, this is what was bothering me, because I remembered this whole, this, the meaning, I was going to give you some other explanation of these things, but this is much more important in terms of your, of, of our study of Abraham. Because this is the, the last point on his point of revelation, and, and the next thing that happens is the promise is born or manifested within it. Okay? John 1, read, read, read it, uh, the first Read about the first 12 or 13 verses. Uh, Pete? In the beginning was the word. Okay. Whenever the word word there is used, it's this logos. In the beginning was the logos. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay. So Logos, and this is hard to talk about. The fullness of the revelation of God's stuff, religious stuff, um, any kind of theology stuff, the fullness of the revelation is manifested in this Genesis 18, in that it is God, and but we see him sometimes in three manifestations. In Creator, or Theos, in Cryos, or rulership, in Logos, or what? All of this, you see, 
Logos becomes totally and completely subjective. The other two are objective. You can get by with studying it. You can study about Logos, and, I mean, study about Theos and study about Cryos, but you can't study about Logos. Logos you have to experience. You have to become it. Now this is what Paul is talking about when he said that unto me has been given what? The revelation to be made known unto all men to reveal unto you the mystery of God. The mystery of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is Christ there Logos? Christ is Logos. So, Logos in you. Logos in you. But it's not just Logos in you. Logos in you, then, you, you, you that, that can be... Oh, how can I talk about this? <clears throat> you have to see that it's all in one. You have to see that, that all power in heaven and earth is manifested in Logos, or in Jesus Christ. You have to now see where the seat of Jesus Christ is. The seat of Jesus Christ is within you, his residence. Now, you, you sometimes you look and you see no one. Sometimes you look and you see the one, the, 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 the creator. Other times you look and you see the rulership. But, but God intends that you look and wherever and whenever you look, you see only logos. I, I feel like I'm not communicating. I think I, I don't want to make this a philosophy course. Does logos contain the other two? Yes. The other two do not contain logos. Well, any separation means that you you any any view towards separation means that you are not seeing correctly. Anytime you see separateness. So when he was seeing three, he wasn't seeing correctly. Right. And when he saw one, he was seeing correctly. Right. And when he saw none, it was because he vanished from his sight and was here? Well, that's debatable. Every The reason we study Abraham, the reason that, that Paul said he's the perfect Christian, he's the perfect model, is because Abraham represents what is going on within you. Now, you've all, we, we, we've had fun talking about Abraham up to this point. You know, Abraham, he's, 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 he's born in, in Babylon and he does all kinds of weird things and he's going to be Nimrod, he's, he's going to be the best there is, on and on and on and on, and all his plans fail. And then he, 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 he doesn't know what to do. But he knows where he was wasn't it. So he leaves. He goes without knowing. Just as that's the experience of all of us. Then somehow you get a point or a hint that maybe something else is going on. That maybe something neat is happening that's beyond my wildest dream. That's the first time God talked to him. Okay, then 
that gets tested, and he's in a famine, and the first thing he does is he runs down to Egypt. He goes back to the world. That doesn't work, so he comes back. Then he has to be separated. He's separated from possessions. He's separated from family. He's separated from what he thinks the promise is going to be. Just like that's the, the suffering, the loss of all things that, that takes place within us. But finally, we come to the point of the revelation of the Logos, the three in one. And it's not external to us, it is us. That's right. That's right. There's no more theology. There's only living. Now, I've, in the past, I used to make everybody in the other group mad because I'd say, you'd start out by saying, this is a pen, ugly pen. This is a pen. This isn't a pen. This is a pen. That's the progression that has to take place within you. All life is great. I'm gonna I'm gonna really knock the world on its shoulders. It's a pen. Life is vanity. It's all bullshit. Everything is screwed up. There's no pen. Life is great. I'm gonna knock the world on my feet off its feet. It's a pen. But now it's a pen that knows who it is. This pen over here, his initial blush. I mean, maybe I'm the only one it happened to. When I was a little kid, I was, I can remember when I was two and three years old, man, I thought I was going to be king of the world. I mean, I thought there was nothing that was going to be withheld from me. I really felt like I owned all things. Now, I think every child has that sense that occurs some point in their life. I mean, as a small child. Most of the time it's, I'm going to really be something. Am I, am I the only one that that ever happened to? Well, that's because you've blanked out nine years of your life. Huh? But that's the right, that was right. The only thing that was, but what was wrong with it, it, it wasn't from the right source. Now, believe it or not, this innocent little visit and parable about three people visiting Abraham reveals this, if we could only study and not know it in Hebrew. God wants you to be so convinced of who you are that you are in the position of Logos. This is the, this is the sitting down in the rest. This is when, yeah, but it's not just the sitting down in the rest, it's when we, what the prayer that we Saw in the Psalms last night, when you're you're in the some of you are in the rest a little bit, but you're making God run all over the place. This is, this is, this is the rest in which God is at rest in you. 
when it's just it's certainty beyond certainty it's it's knowing beyond knowing it's faith beyond faith it's what paul talked about in ephesians that it's it's knowledge that passes knowledge it's it's when every muscle nerve fiber and molecule of your being knows who the, who it is okay just a moment of that kind of concrete knowing last night. I was with a group of people and this girl is a, is a, has a PhD in psychology and is into, uh, what is it? Para Parapsychology. And she was telling us about some of the experiences she had with spirits and all this kind of stuff and she was telling me about all these weird things. And, uh, you know, I just looked, I, after listening for a long time, I said, well, I said, I don't know, you, you sound pretty sincere. I said, but the only thing I know is concrete is God. And I said, and I don't know how the rest of that ties in, but I know God is concrete. And, and I just felt it, just as soon as I'm sitting here, I just felt how concrete it is, how, I mean, I just know God. You know? It was real neat having that, I mean, it was just a, that kind of, what you just said about knowing beyond doubt. Now, there's an all, all kinds of other stuff here in this thing. It says that he sat at the tent door in the heat of the day. The heat of the day meant at noon. Now, there are two kinds of, of rest in a natural man. There's the rest when you're asleep. Obviously, you're resting. But you're, really, you're not really resting. You're a, you've fallen asleep in life just has the appearance of resting. But the kind of rest that God is talking about occurred in the Mideast at this point at noonday. When, 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 you know, when you, when you were at rest, it's, it's the, what became the idea of a siesta. But it was the point in which you, you were fully alive, fully awake, but totally at rest and at ease. Now, that's the, the, the analogy or the symbolism that he was, in the heat of the day, resting at the door of the tent or the tabernacle. And we can go through the whole process that just as, as in Genesis, when God told Cain when his face or countenance was fallen, he said, why is your countenance fallen? You know, the sin offering is always at the door, lieth at the door. Well, here, again, it's the door of the tent. The tent is the tabernacle, the mystical one tabernacle. That's the only one that exists. You're at rest at the door. The door is Christ. In that total position of rest, you begin to see. And you begin to see things that you can't believe. But as long as your activities... That's when, when the, four king, the, the, the five kings that... Abraham has just defeated in Genesis 14. He, he really defeated five kings in one sense and four kings in another. There was nine kings. But the five kings were the five senses and the other four kings were the four passions. And once that was defeated, then he was fed by Melchizedek, the bread and wine. And now comes the next and the highest revelation. And out of this revelation will come Isaac, the promise. I'll show you what, what they thought they were.
because we said that when, when he met Mel, when Melchizedek met him, that that was Christ, not Jesus Christ. That was Christ. Right. And now this is talking. This is the revelation of Logos. Is this the revelation revelation of Jesus Christ? Yeah. This is the revelation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, what's the difference between Christ and Jesus Christ? Well, if most, almost everybody worships Christ. They don't worship Jesus Christ. Christ is the Messiah that can do Messiah. He can do Messiah stuff. He, he, can, he can be. He can. He can appear as a man, or he can appear as. But he's external to you. But Jesus Christ is God being born into flesh, being the baby, crying, doing all the stuff that you do and did, and then coming through all of that in perfection, and then being reborn or replaced inside you. So all, almost all religions worship Christ. Most of you, if you've ever had any religious experience, worship Christ, because he was always external to you. You understand? But Jesus Christ is the rarest thing in the world. Because it's the understanding that he became and put on flesh. Your flesh. Okay? Well, the five, the five senses, of course, are sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. The four passions are allegedly anger, lust, hunger, and joy. So even joy had to be defeated. Or happiness. I mean, I, I, I have a... Part of me wants to really get into the, the symbolism and the allegory and all this. And part of me says, no, that's too weird. So you'll have to forgive me for bouncing back and forth. Okay, let's see what happened now. Wait, 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 one more question. I think what I just heard you say was, yes, this is the revelation of Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Yes, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. If this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's not the revelation of Christ out there someplace external floating in space. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ in Abraham? It's, it's as much of... Abraham saw it as completely at this point as you can see it. Go to John, 5, uh, John 8, verse 50-something. And verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. And then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death. 
Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? What makest thou thyself? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. And then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou... And hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Okay? So he, this is, I mean, this is the argument that I get in with Gary all the time. Gary is convinced that He's, that, that we are now better off than they were before the cross. But from the senses, from everything that we can know, the gospel was preached unto Abraham. The gospel was preached unto Abel. You know, Cain and Abel. Everything is the same. I mean, from a sensory perception, all we can know, I mean, I can, we can talk philosophically about something, but we're in exactly the same position that Abraham was. you understand that? No. Let's look at Ephesians. I want to I show you a prayer of Paul about this matter. Ephesians 5. I understand that if, if, if if this is correct, that it really doesn't—it doesn't make any difference what has or hasn't happened, or any of that stuff doesn't make any difference. Abraham was a man walking through time and space. We are men walking through time and space. Bible stuff doesn't make any difference. Right. There's two prayers, one in Ephesians 2, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1. Uh, starting in the prayer of, of to the, Paul has two prayers in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. In, in uh, Ephesians 1, verse 15, and then... It's after Romans and Acts and all that stuff. See, what one of the meanings of this this revelation that's happening to Abraham here is, is he's being delivered <coughs> from the idea that he is an independent self for which things happen to. And 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 things go right or don't go right. I mean that's the way this is all manifested. It sounds real religious to talk about logos and theos and cryos. And, but, but the way it's manifested within you is that the logos doesn't consider that anything is happening to him. Nothing can happen to him. He doesn't get revelation. 
he doesn't he he doesn't get affected when people don't act like he may or may not think they should. He isn't affected by hunger. He isn't affected by lack. I mean, he's not, the Logos is no longer this little individual separate self that things happen to. And, not, and, and I don't want, and when I say this, I don't want you to not to continue to talk about when, 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 when God, when you see something and God reveals things to you and all that. That's fine. I mean, but it's, it's, that's not what's set before you. What's set before you is that you no longer see yourself as an independent self that things happen to. Does that make any sense to you? You, you are one with that which is the creator of all things. And, and, and little stuff no longer happens to you. And, and I don't know, I wish I could make that... It's tested in here, because... It has to, I mean, it's easy to say that, you know, okay, I'm no longer an independent little self that things happen to. And then you can act like that. You can go out and, and be a hermit and say wise sayings from the mountaintop and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it has to, it's tested in a body. So that you begin to no longer see yourself as an independent self for whom things happen to. Now, up until that point in time, we go through life responding to stimulus just like the Gentiles do. I mean, if... if uh, and we, we think that God's doing something to us. We think God's out to get... If we believe in God, we think God's out to get us or that God's going to bless us or we're going to get stuff from this or he's going to fix this or he's going to fix that. Well... The only reason we're here, and he may do all that, just like, you know, a little kid gets his diapers changed and stuff. But that's not the intent. The intent is, is that you would grow up into the fullness of the knowledge of him and no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine and the slight of men with valley lying wait to deceive. They're going to deceive you. Who cares? And you will no longer give breath to all of those things. I mean, and I know I say that over and over, and by saying it over and over, I make it a cliche that you can ignore. I mean, what's happening is God is using all of those things to bring you the fullness of the knowledge of Him. Now, let's, with that in mind, let's read this prayer of Paul. Verse uh, one, Chapter 1, verse 15. You want to read it, Rhonda? Notice, notice now in the prayer, the one thing I want you to see, though, is that it doesn't talk about anything for you, that, except that your eyes would be opened. Okay. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all saints, do sought to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the 
God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of heaven. Okay, he's giving you this. These the prayers that he would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Period. No. Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Because all the knowledge and all the wisdom dwells within him. Okay. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what what is the hope of his calling. The hope of your calling? No. The hope of his calling. You're out of the picture. Your history. And with the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. His inheritance. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to to us for to believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and, domin and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Okay. Either you believe that he has put all things under his feet, and he's your life, or you don't. If he's put all things under his feet, then there is no situation that can possibly arise which you can ever define as a lack or a problem or a need. Now, let's look at the next prayer. 3.14 For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout ages, world without end. Amen. So the prayer is always that you might comprehend, that your eyes might be enlightened, that you no more be affected, because just as Abraham defeated the five, king, the five senses and the four passions, then he began this walk, of revelation, this walk of seeing with total clarity, and and then your whole life is different. You don't walk like other people. You don't act like. I mean, you're you're, you're not you're not affected by those things. Okay. Now, let's look at what happened. Let's go back to Genesis.
Genesis 18, verse 3. He looked up, he saw three men, and he went to them and said, My Lord, singular, if I have now found favor in thy sight, pass not away. Don't, and it's a, it means, it means don't disappear. Um, he saw three, but he knew that it was one. Sometimes he saw three, sometimes he saw one. Now, this all happened on Passover, by the way. And that's when, the, if you remember when we do the Passover thing about how Abraham, this, he's eating leaven. I mean, he's, he's baking the unleavened bread and all that stuff, making the sacrifice. Now, let's go to Numbers 22. Balak and Balaam are uh, Balak is a is a is a uh, a prince of the of another tribe besides Israel, the Amorites. And Balaam is a prophet, but not a Hebrew prophet. And Balaam is the one that the ass speaks to him a little bit, but uh, just like anyway. But Balak keeps telling, uh, Balak is looking around and seeing that God is kind of doing some good stuff to these people, and, and, and he keeps trying to get Balaam to, to like figure out how to get some of that good stuff. And so that, now he, then he, he doesn't do it, so he wants, to, he wants Balak to figure out how to kill all of the Jews, all of the Israelites. And he says in verse 16, Let's just, verse 17, For I will promote thee unto a very great honor, and I'll do whatever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. In other words, he wanted Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam answered and said unto them, the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now therefore I pray thee, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me. Now the word there, that I cannot go beyond the word, is what this means. When it says he's asking him not to pass away from him. It's the same word in, 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 in the Greek, it, I mean in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean don't leave me. It means... Don't go beyond a point, a mystical point. Don't go beyond the bounds of my habitation. Don't, um, let's look at it another place. This is a hard one to get to because we, we are spiritually greedy. Let's go to Luke 24. Does that mean 
like that goes beyond my ability to comprehend or something? Well, it means what, what we read last night. Don't, I, I do not wish to exercise myself in thoughts or matters too high for me. They will come at the right time. As a child, I don't, it's not meat for me to have, uh, to drive my dad's car if I'm four years old. It's that kind of a meaning. Luke. Luke 24. This is, again, we won't read the whole thing, but this is Luke and a man called Cleophas. And they were all disappointed because Christ had been crucified. And they were walking, and then Christ appeared unto them, and they didn't know it was him. So they're walking with him down the road to Emmaus. And Emmaus is a little ways away from Jerusalem. And and he's he's putting them on. He's egging them on. And they said, you know, where have you been that you don't know about all this stuff? Anyway, and then he said in verse 25, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as if though he would have gone further, just as these three did. They acted like they were going to, they were just walking past Abraham. But he constrained them, saying, Abide with us, pass not away. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake it, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. At that moment, Christ, God, became Logos to Luke and Cleophas. But my point to you is that you have to grab onto him. You have to constrain him. Because he's going to pass you by. You have to say, wait a minute. Don't do that. And that's what it means in the scriptures when it talks about command ye. It's talking to God. And it says, command ye him the things concerning his son. Now, I can't tell you how important this is. But you can't, you won't have the guts to do it as long as you think of yourself as this independent self that things happen to. Am I communicating at all? Mm -hmm. Why are you looking so troubled then? Well, I'm, it's because I'm not really paying attention to what you're saying. I caught on to the previous sentence, which was, at that moment, Christ became a logos to them. That's what's, that's what I'm hung on. Because he vanished out of their sight. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.
2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14. Well, verse 13. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, the whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of, and notice, the individual self is out of the picture. For, whether, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, that we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. you understand that? What does it mean to know Christ after the flesh? What does it mean to know God after the flesh? To see separateness. Remember what I've talked to you about what Christ knew, the secret of Christ? What did he know? He knew that every thought that he had was God. He knew that every action he acted was God. He knew that everything he did was God. There was no separation. But you are still living in the illusion of separateness. And so it's not. To do that anymore, we have to constrain that. Right. You have to say, wait a minute. Come and feed me some bread. But what does after the flesh mean? To see separateness. It means to be sen with sensory perception. The phrase to know after the to know Christ after the flesh. That does not mean what I thought it meant, which was his flesh. Mm -hmm. It's this flesh. Let's go to. Do you remember? Do any of you remember how many times Jesus said, "Whatsoever I see the Father do, that I do." The Father worketh hitherto, and I work. I can of mine own self do nothing. He wasn't just talking about the good stuff. still back with Luke and Cleopas. Christ disappears. Vanishes. And he they no Poof. longer know him after the flesh. He becomes logos. Poof. What did it, what I mean what did they see? What did, they saw nothing. I 
don't understand the phrase he became logos to them. Wait, wait a minute here. You say before in the past when we've studied it, they um, they had an instant of revelation. They saw him, and then they saw him first. They that's what it says. They knew him. Yeah. As soon as they knew him, he vanished. Christ is made known unto you in the breaking of the bread. When you know him, he vanishes. Simply because he's so such a part of you that you no longer see separateness. You no longer see separateness. Separateness becomes impossible. He's not separate from your thought. He's not separate from your action. He's not separate from your smelling or hearing. He, I mean, he, you are living, you are thinking, you are acting, you are doing everything by the faith of Christ. You never again are concerned with your thoughts, your actions, your deeds, or your words, or your anything. Because it's, it's, it's gone. You, <laughs> As long as you know him after the flesh, then you're knowing him in a separate identity. Look, I, I, what? Let's go to Philippians. Chapter 3. Well, no, we don't have to go there. I'll just tell you. Forget going there. Philippians chapter th 3 says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but dung. And he goes on to say, Whatsoever thing that's a gain to me is a loss to Christ. Now, how do you, first of all, how did he suffer the loss of all things? What the hell does that mean? Did he give them away? Did he, was he religious? And, no, he saw them that they were no longer his possessions. And any seeking that he would do, even the seeking of understanding, was a loss to Christ. What's the opposite of it? Tie this into what we said the other night when you thought I said something new. Do you understand that you have never done anything that wasn't Christ? I have understood that at times, but at this moment I don't. <laughs> He wasn't kidding when he said in John 15 that without me, you can do nothing. <coughs> he isn't kidding here when he said that the love of Christ constraineth us, that for we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You just didn't die just when you found that out. 
The cross isn't an option. You have never done anything. You have never thought anything. You have never perceived anything that wasn't Christ. And everything that's happened to you is to prove that revelation or test it. You're free from the, the illusion of an independent self. God has become Logos within you. Well, I hear what you're saying, but I don't see how all the, some of all the sick-up things that go on in this world can be of Christ. Go to Isaiah 45. After Psalms. Psalms, uh, Psalms, whenever you try to find anything, go to Psalms, and then Isaiah is after Psalms. What's a sicko thing? How do you know that? Because it causes a lot of damage to innocent people. Read what happened to the Amalekites. God abused every man, woman, and child. He cut them in little pieces. God's the greatest child abuser that ever lived. Well, why did he do that? For this very moment. So you could see that what you think is good and bad is, is stupid. Do you understand that the problem isn't what... The problem is, is that you've still tasted of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and love it. Because it makes you as a God. What else do you think is good or evil? What else is sicko? You mean you can, you, we can go on, we can litanize them. Now, think of the sickest, most disgusting things that you can think of. Take it to the nth degree. The ultimate evils. Now read Isaiah 45. Just start in verse 5. I am the Lord, there is none else. Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. Okay. I am the Lord, there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may that they may know from the rising sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create the darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens. Yes, that's fine. Do you believe that? Okay, now tell me about sicko stuff. Well, I believe that, but it's like I, I obviously have this, you know, false and preconceived idea about God being good. You know, and it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like I don't God really is good. That. I don't really respect that. God is good. But it's your idea of good that is wrong. Your idea of good is so far removed, Jesus said, don't even call him good. 
I mean, this is a biggie, because this is where everything else rests on. This is the original sin. The tasting of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you Once you taste it, then you are as a god. And, and, and you know... Okay, so, so right now, for the last ten minutes, this part of the body over here has been feeling confused and not understanding and left out and, and in the dark and lights didn't go on and I'm not with you. And I'm judging that to be you know, bad. Just as... So I'm going to stop judging that to be bad and say, okay, that's where I am. Yeah, but, but look... I don't see. Again, think of a child. If you tried to explain to a four-year-old child the theory of relativity... Well, a four-year-old child wouldn't even, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even have any idea what you're talking about. And he wouldn't get upset because he didn't understand. Right. Now, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And I'm judging and I'm saying I should. I should understand this because I'm a smart guy. Right. And also I'm saying if I don't understand this, I'll get left behind. And you're also saying that, well, but at least you're not saying that all he's full of shit. Or are you? No, no. No, because I've been, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. I've been watching Barbara. And I know that she knows what you're talking about. So it's not just you. Oh. But, no, if it were just you, I'd probably, well, I Okay, so I'm not going to be upset. Well, I just want to, I, I will quit now, but I want I want you to think about this, this, the three men that visited Abraham. The Theos, or God, creator. The Cryos, or God, ruler. And the Logos, or God. What does Logos mean? Man, Logos means everything. I don't really quite understand why it's there's that three, why that's separated anyway. I mean, I always thought of God They're not separate. God and it's all of it. But why is it pictured like because that? Because that's the way the human mind perceives it. You never did picture all at once God is everything. Well, you I pictured. Never pictured him, I was never aware of picturing him separately. Well, I mean, but, like, but, 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 my. my you understand how big of a revelation, how big of a jump it is to say? I think the problem with this is because, do you understand how, how tremendous a jump it is to say, God, to go from God, Theos, or Creator, to God, Ruler? Oh, you mean the Ruler of every last little thing going on? Including what you just said. That's a major jump. That's a big-time jump that almost no one understands in the whole history of the human race. Because they have to, by definition, if you look, I mean, God, it, what, you have to create two gods. You have to say there's a good God and a bad God. And they're up there fighting. And once you create two, you have to have 10,000 because two can't exist. That's the basis of every religion. 
it's fine intellectually to say, fine, praise God, God is everywhere and in all things. And But when it comes down to the individualization of that, and to say that God is really ruler, that there is no thing that has happened that isn't in and of his control and direction, that's a big, that's a big step. Yeah, I can see that intellectually, but I don't think I'm experiencing that. Okay, well now, you've got another order of magnitude step to go through. Now see him as Logos, the Word made flesh, that you have been with him from the beginning. That's why the, John says, I brought unto you little children, first stage, I brought unto you little children, because your sin is forgiven. Then I write unto you adolescents, because you know the Father. I write unto you young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write unto you fathers, because you've been with him or known him, that is from the beginning. That's Logos, that you've never been separate from him. And that's the prayer of all of the unity. Of, that's the one that Brian wanted to read all the time, John 17 that they may be one even as we are one, you and me and I and them. Not, not just one, you know, like, sub, you know, like, like it's sort of a, a philosophy course, God's in you, but that it's, it's perceived and realized and known in every breath that you take. And to know that you never have been separate from him. That's the meaning of repentance. See, that's something that surprises me. I always thought that anybody who wanted to could choose and give themselves to God or be with God. But now, is this what you're saying? Is that it's all predetermined? Everybody who's going to be with God? Go back to John that we just read, John 1. There's an interesting statement there. If that's the case, if, that, if it's all predetermined, it seems like, I mean, what about all those people who don't have any chance? I mean, that just doesn't strike me as real fair. Nobody said God was fair. Again, your definition of fair. But it seems like he would let anybody come to him that wanted to, but is it all already predetermined? <laughs> Again, it's like, it's Wait like, it's like, huh? You said God, nobody said God is fair, that's true, but it also says that it was revealed to all men. Right. What can be known of God is But, but look, look, you see, you, you, we're living this movie one frame at a time. God has got the whole thing in the can. So, predetermination, yes, he knows which ones will come to repentance. But, as it goes, we can't know on them individual frame. He's desirous that the seed of Christ is in all men. All they have to do is turn from self. They have to stop preferring the darkness. Why do people come here and leave? If what we say is true, this is the most incredible place that you could be in the, on the face of the earth. It's the most mind-blowing revelation that you will ever hear. And as far as we know, it's the only place it's being spoken. It's literally the mysteries of the universe. Made known unto you freely. But people come and they leave. Why? They prefer the darkness. 
sounds real self-righteous, but it's true. Now look on what it says. Verse John chapter 1, verse, well, in verse 10, He was in the world, well, verse 9, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That's hard to explain, you know, he's, he's, he's in every man. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. Now, it doesn't mean power like dynamite. It means power like efficacy or ability. To become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You cannot choose him. It's impossible. Well, if that's the case, it seems like there are just billions of people who don't have any chance. Well, he is revealed automatically. As sure as night follows day, when you come to the end of yourself. If he's revealed to everyone, how come everybody can't make that choice? To There's no choice. Does the drowning man make a choice when he raises his hand? Forget this idea of choice. You can't choose him. Well, that's what, I'm, that's what is throwing me. It seems like, you know... Those other poor slobs may as well give up. What I poor mean, slobs? That's what they should do all the time is give up. The moment they give up, he's revealed. Don't you see what I'm saying? It seems like it's already wrapped up. Whoever's going to be with God is already there, and whoever's not doesn't have any chance. And it just kind of strikes me as, like, I would like to think those people had the chance if they wanted to. Why? Because. I mean, it's, it's like... Why? So they can be with God too. Why would you like to think that? Because... Are you really concerned? No, because I would really hate to think that I wasn't going to be with God. And That's I right. I had no ability not to be with That's God. That's right. And so I hate to think that somebody else doesn't have That's it. right. That's all I wanted you to admit. You're not concerned about them in one iota. You're concerned about you. That's the basis and root of your question. So you're still seeing separateness. Okay, and he's saying he's desire. I mean, his own right arm has gotten him the victory. I mean, he—it's finished. It's through. It's completed. It's done. We're living in the New Jerusalem. It's finished. Yeah, all this time I just realized all this time I've been saying going to be with God. Like in the future. But please, I'm not trying to be hard or cold. or. I just want you to see that most of the people's concern, when they're concerned for someone else, has nothing to do with them. I mean, with the other person. They're concerned with them. Well, I, I see that um, I would not, I would hate to have, you know, I would hate to not have what I have. 
So I think, man, those other people don't have that. That's not good. Well, then you will speak it. And you will bring people here, and most of them will leave. And you'll try to speak it, and you'll try to have relationships in your life with people that aren't of like precious faith, and they'll be total and abject disasters. You'll try to go and do all kinds of stuff, and you won't be able to. Because once you've tasted of that which is eternal, there's nothing that can satisfy you. Capiche? talk about um, accomplished fact, we talk about it's finished, we talk about an execrable process, and then I, the first time I heard you say, when you come to the end of yourself, when you give up, is there any man who has never come to the end of himself? Is there any man who has never given up? Isn't it just a question of when in this thing well, the, 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 it takes place? Oh no, thousands of, millions, billions of people have never given up. Well, here's, here's, here's what really is the question. At the point of, and I don't even know how to phrase it, but um, uh, a friend of ours just, he's gone. He's no longer in time and space. That's the end of himself. Well, death is the obvious, obvious end. That, I mean, if not before, that's the end of self. Okay. At that point, Christ is revealed. The um, There's a scripture that says, Say not even in your heart, who shall ascend up to heaven, for that is to bring Christ down. Say not even in your heart, who shall descend into the abyss, for that is to bring Christ up, as though you could be saved by your own works. But rather say this, that the word is nigh, even in your heart and in your mouth. I mean, there's a propensity that, that goes under the guise of concern. And we say, praise God, this person is in heaven, or praise God, this person is with God, or praise, or, or that person is gone. Either way, where I'm coming from. I don't think that's what I'm thinking about or concerned about. I think what I'm seeing is Christ is revealed. Period. Well, the Whether only... a man repents or not, Christ is revealed. Right. The only thing... That's why, I mean, death is the, is the last enemy. And, it, and Christ has overcome death. And we've been in bondage through fear of death. We, we perceive that death of any, as any kind of separation. And now, and so we, we structure mechanisms to protect us from that separation or that fear of death. And now God is destroying all those mechanisms because he's showing you that there's no more fear of death. Fear of separation is an illusion. 
whether it's from Jim or from... Itself is an illusion. Well, but it's a real illusion. It's an illusion that's... It's, it's the acid poured into the gold ore to... I mean, it's, 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 it's no more an illusion than anything else, but it's the, it's the, it's the instrument of, the, the independent self is the instrument of the test. Because the separation that it causes is real indeed, isn't it? That's right. It's not an illusion. God is only doing one thing, and he's doing it very well. But as soon as we've tasted of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then we'll think that he's doing all kinds of other things. He's only doing one thing. Okay? But, I, but, but see this thing about... Now, all of you now, I think, have come to the position where you know God is creator. I mean, you're, you're convinced that he's the creator. And every once in a while, you're pretty sure that he's ruler. That he's in control. But, first of all, see it that it's always he's in control. And then second of all, as soon as you see that, then see that you've never been separate. That, it's, that the word is made flesh within you, the Logos. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery that has been hid from all generations. I guess realizing that he's in control really facilitates the ability to um, to just to see that there never was separation. Well, yeah, that too, but like to turn from self and to to not make plans and not do all this people stuff that we always do right. by realizing that he is in control. Well, then you can prophesy. Then you can speak what's there. Because you're not speaking to that situation or person or thing. You're prophesying as unto the Lord. It has nothing, The response to it is immaterial. The external response, the sensory response. There's another point I wanted to ask about is when, uh, when you come to the end of yourself, is that the same thing as seeing Logos? Now, then for the first time you can see the Creator. Because you have to see the Creator independent of self to see what the word Theos really means. But that's a philosophical discussion that's not really important to me. Amen?